Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. Mario Party is sort of the mascot of games that you play on the couch with all your friends, and everybody hates each other after the end. Mario Kart gets a little bit of that, but in my experience, Mario Party is the one that comes to mind in these kinds of situations. Even if a game outright encourages you to disrespect your friends, like Dokapon Kingdom, Mario Party is the one that gets the infamy. The series has been around for quite a while, but it's been in a bit of a slump for a good lot of it. The first game was released for the Nintendo 64, as was the second and third, and all three of the games were pretty well regarded. I believe Mario Party 2 is the most common favorite of the trilogy, but 1 and 3 definitely have their fans. As Mario moved on to the GameCube, Mario Party kept up. Throughout the console's lifetime, there were four new installments in the series. This is around the time people started getting fatigued with the games. They were just releasing too many of them. It was Assassin's Creed before Assassin's Creed was Assassin's Creed. Opinions are split on which of the GameCube Mario parties was the last good one, if any of them could even qualify to be a good one. But in spite of it all, Nintendo squeezed out one more entry for the Nintendo Wii, and if you've done the math, you'd know that this would be Mario Party 8. The first eight games were all released within one or two years of each other, from 1998 to 2007. There were a few spin-offs too, most notably Mario Party Advance for the Game Boy Advance and Mario Party DS for the, well, use your imagination. 8 and DS were both released in 2007, and for the longest time, this was the end of the series. We wouldn't see any more games. I could talk about Wii Party and Wii Party U, which are surprisingly solid spiritual successors, but they're not quite the same. It wouldn't be until 2012 when we would get our next legitimate entry, Mario Party 9, also for the Wii. And from there, Nintendo started going back to a more regular release schedule with the Mario Parties, but with fewer console entries and more handheld spin-offs. They don't quite have the same frequency nowadays as they did back in the GameCube era, or at least it doesn't feel as much like it due to the heavier focus on handheld entries. But the series is definitely back on the shelves, there's no doubt about that. After 9, we got Mario Party 10 as the sole Mario Party for Wii U. The 3DS has gained three entries, Mario Party Island Tour, Mario Party Star Rush, and Mario Party The Top 100. And now, in 2018, we have Super Mario Party for Nintendo Switch, just two months short of the series' 20th anniversary. Between Metal Gear Solid, Ocarina of Time, and Mario Party, it sure looks like a lot of notable games came out in 1998, huh? Well, in light of Super Mario Party's release, the excuse of capitalizing on the 20th anniversary for a third time on this show, and the fact that people seem to like Super Mario Party, I think it warrants a retrospective. I'm going to look over each of the entries in the series, give bit of a brief summary for each one, color it with a few of my experiences and things I've heard about it to fill in some of the gaps. Probably going to spend more 
emphasis on the console games, not so much with the handheld games. And with that, let's get started. So it all began with Mario Party. This is kind of, for people who don't understand, a virtual board game. You hit the dice block, and that determines your movement around the board. There's up to four players, and you have a variety of boards to play on. You compete with each other to try to buy enough stars so that you have the most at the end of the game. There are lots of different things you can do to affect your money, which helps or hurts people with getting the stars. The stars are the ultimate goal. At the end of every board, they tally up the stars, and they even include bonus stars if you have that setting turned on, which can also add to the winner's tally or help a second or third place or even a fourth place player make a comeback. And these bonus stars can also influence the way you play because they are based on certain actions within the game. Like the question mark spaces. Whoever lands on the most of those in a game gets a bonus star for that. But only if the bonus stars are turned on, you see. The bonus star system is really neat, and I think it adds a lot to the gameplay. It was a little lopsided in that two out of three bonus stars were linked with each other for the first few games in the series. It wasn't until around seven they started randomizing them a bit more, even though a few of them still kind of go hand in hand with each other. And as you go about the board trying to earn money and stars, there are different spaces you land on that have different effects. Usually they add or subtract three coins, or sometimes you would land on the Bowser space, and that just causes a big catastrophe to happen. There's the happening or question mark or action spaces, whatever they're called. They have different names. But landing on one of those causes an event unique to the board to happen. And there are other spaces that come and go throughout the series. A common thing is the boo, which will be summoned and steal coins or stars from an opponent. You can also duel with your enemies on one-on-one -on -one mini games, And let's just segue into the minigames. At the end of every four actions you have to play a minigame. And there are different genres of minigame based on who's playing. Is it a free-for-all? Is it two versus two? Is it a duel, like I said? Is it one versus three? And in this game, they even have one-player minigames, but that didn't really stick around too much. There's a wide variety of minigames, and they are more or less the lifeblood of Mario Party. And there are a lot of other gimmicks and hazards and wacky whimsical things that are commonplace throughout Mario Party. A lot of it is introduced here, a lot of it got dropped and then reintroduced, or never reintroduced, but this game is the one that started it all. For story, there isn't really much to say. Mario, Luigi, Yoshi, Princess Peach, Donkey Kong, and Wario are all arguing with themselves over who gets to be the superstar. What's the superstar? I don't know. The, the, the bragging rights. So they go through all the Mario Party boards, and they deal with Bowser's traps. And yeah, that's basically it. You just want to try to win. Mario Party 1 is notorious in the series for requiring you to spin the joystick with your hand for a selection of the minigames, 
and this was known to hurt the players' palms, Nintendo actually released special gloves in later prints or something along those lines that you could wear to make the process easier for yourself. And tellingly, Mario Party 1 has not been put on the virtual shop in any capacity. The control stick spinning has not been replicated whatsoever, with the exception of the 3DS, which has a much more ergonomically correct stick. And yeah, that about sums it up for Mario Party 1. Mario Party 2, like I said before, is a common favorite for people who prefer the classics or even the series overall. This game introduced the concept of items, and it's what you would expect. Grab an item from some shop or a space or a minigame or something, and it allows you to get an advantage over someone else. This would become a mainstay for the rest of the series going forward. In most games, you could hold up to about three items. This game, you could only have one, though. They were still kind of working their way in. One big thing about the game is that it has different outfits for each of the boards you play on. You've got your pirate board, the western board, the space board. Everyone has costumes that go along with the theme of the board. Even Bowser does. It's a really cute little touch that makes the game feel more unique, and I'm a little upset that the future games don't try to replicate this at any point. One unique feature to this game besides all that is that after you would buy a star from Toad, he would move to a new space, but then the Koopa Kid would show up in the old space, and if you pass by him, he'll mess with you in some way. The Koopa Kid is a weird character. He's a miniature Bowser, but he's not Bowser's son. He's not Bowser Jr. He's not baby Bowser. He's just a weird miniature Bowser who shows up in a lot of the games. He first appeared in the original game, but only at the final board, which was a little tricky to unlock, so I wouldn't be surprised if Mario Party 2 was a lot of people's first exposure to the Koopa Kid, because he was more prevalent in this one. Mario Party 3, the last one to be released for the Nintendo 64, and this is the first one I was aware of, period. I remember one Christmas Eve, we were hanging around at a store that's been long out of business by the time of this recording, but I saw the strategy guide for Mario Party 3, and I was kind of a weird kid. I liked having strategy guides, even if I never owned the game. I saw the one for Mario Party 3, and I wanted it, so my parents were gracious enough to buy it for me, and I read it the rest of the day, and... That was my first exposure to Mario Party, as I said. I didn't really understand a lot of what they were saying in the book, especially because I hadn't played any of the games, but it was really neat, and it did lead to us renting the game eventually. And then we would rent Mario Party 2, then Mario Party 1, then starting with 4, we would start experiencing them in order, for the most part. Mario Party 3 was the first one to introduce new playable characters in the form of Waluigi and Daisy. They would be antagonists in the story mode, while in the party mode you could just play as them whenever you wanted. Also, this is when they would introduce more items. This game does have a story mode. You heard me correctly. 
And it's not just, ooh, Bowser's up to no good, stop him. Though it now occurs to me that I forgot to mention the story mode in 2, because there, there really isn't much of a story mode in 2. Everyone is just arguing over what to name this random landscape, and they all name it after themselves because they're creatively bankrupt. No, no. But that's 2. In 3, there's this special star called the Millennium Star, and it's born every, well, guess... And it's going to select the top party star of the universe by giving out star stamps. You had to compete in the story mode on the different boards to get all the star stamps. But then after every board, you had to go to a special dual board, which was entirely distinct from the main boards. And it would just be you and the other character. It wouldn't be four-player action anymore. It would just be the two of you and whatever random monsters you could get your hands on and train up. Not really Pokemon-like, but it's kind of like that. It's monster battling with a lot of the classic Mario minions, and everyone kind of has their own unique preferred minion. They all have their own purposes, all that kind of stuff. And Waluigi and Daisy, they appear in the story mode and are entirely distinct from Bowser. Their appearances are supposed to be a surprise, actually, which is a little shocking to hear about in hindsight, because nowadays Daisy and Waluigi are just such mainstays in all the Mario spin-off games that the fact that they were surprise villains, or antagonists, is kind of a shock. It's also the only Mario Party game to date where the final boss minigame does not have you fight Bowser in any capacity. You're fighting against the Millennium Star as a final test. I should say that this is also the first game to introduce boss minigames, except they wouldn't really they wouldn't really capitalize on that until Mario Party DS. We get to Mario Party 4. A bunch of the minion helper type characters find this thing called the Party Cube, and they show it to Mario and his friends, all the playable characters from Mario Party 3, and they're gonna have a birthday party, I guess. You pick your favorite character, and it's that character's birthday, and you get to win story mode boards to win presents, and it's your birthday, yeah! Got him. So this was the game that started the long stretch of GameCube Mario Parties, and of the GameCube Mario Parties, I'd say this is the most similar to the original trilogy. The big unique thing with this game, and the small unique thing with this game, were the mini and mega mushrooms, and they would shrink or grow you to different effects, and they played a big part in how you navigate the board. They were the items of the game. There were other items, but the mini and mega mushrooms were where it was at, for better or worse. This is the Mario Party I have played the most, bar none, because for several years, this was the only Mario Party we even owned. I was really sick of it by the end. I don't think we've ever properly played through this game, now, there's nothing bad about Mario Party 4, it's just, when you're so 
used to it being the only Mario Party in your life, you kind of crave what the other Mario Parties have to offer, even if it's not really that good. I call it the brown cinnamon Pop-Tart principle, where, yeah, it's good, but when it's the only thing you have for Gears, you just don't want it anymore, ever. <laughs> Mario Party 5 is a turning point in the series for a lot of people, it's where I feel like more people started dropping off, if not Mario Party 6. Mario Party 5 definitely has its problems. It was a really transitional time for the series. They did away with a lot of the items and started up a system called the Capsules, which would later be called Orbs. And they would be thrown down on the spaces on the board, and they would have a variety of effects and everyone could be affected by them. This would be the future of items in Mario Party. This was also the game where Toad, Boo, and even the Koopa Kid itself joined the playable roster. However, Donkey Kong would no longer be a playable character. He was instead relegated to host the DK space, and Donkey Kong from this point on would serve as a good counterpart to Bowser, where Bowser was a big, tough guy who would mess up your life whenever you land on his space. DK was a big, tough guy who would improve your life if you landed on his space. And the series would go on to paint Donkey Kong and Bowser as foils to each other even more as it went on. This game also introduced the red, blue, and green Koopa Kids, who were exclusive to the story mode, where one player had to knock all three of them out of the running to win the boards, and they would be smaller, more simplified versions of the boards. There was also a lot of side modes that were really surprisingly good and fleshed out, especially compared to the main game. A lot of Mario parties have that, but I feel like this game probably had the best side modes of them all. And very interesting for... Mario lore nerds, like me. The hosts of Mario Party 5 were the Star Spirits, the Star Sage figures that you collected in the first Paper Mario game. Like, they're all there, all seven of them, they all have the same name, design, everything. It's really weird, because the main Mario games usually don't reference Paper Mario in any capacity. The sports games, the kart games barely recognize them at all either, so it's kind of neat to have them here in this way. Mario Party 6 is the one of the first eight that I never ever played. I, I don't know why we skipped this one, but we never rented it once, and for several years I wasn't really sure what happened in this game. I knew about it by reading around Nintendo Power articles, but we just never played this one, and I was under the assumption that since it was in kind of the middle of the GameCube era, it was a lower quality game and people were getting disillusioned with the series with this one, but I was introduced to the game a little more intimately last year, and it's pretty solid, I think, at least from an outside perspective. A lot more refined than what 5 was trying to do. It really built upon some of the ideas established in that game. The big thing of Mario Party 6 is the day and night system. 
One of the boards in 2 had something like that, but it's expanded on here. Every three turns, it would change to night and then day, the next three turns, so on and so forth. You get the idea. And this would affect certain events on the board. Sometimes it would even affect the mini-games that you play. There was also an accessory that they only used in this game in 7, which was kind of a microphone, and you could play special mini-games with that. There's not a whole lot to say about it. It was really just a gimmick on top of all the other gimmicks going on. This was also the first Mario Party to change how you would get the stars. In the first five games, it was simple. You just go to the spot where the star is, you buy it for 20 coins, bada-boom. In Mario Party 6, they keep that up for the first two boards, but starting with the third board, they mix it up a little. In one board, you can buy as many stars as you want, and they're always going to be in the same space. You just have to pay the money that they ask for it, and you can adjust the money. There's also another board where everyone always has five stars at the start, and you can't get new stars, you just have to steal them from each other with chain chomps. Mario Party 7 and 8 would continue to tweak this formula a bit. I should also point out that this is when Toadette makes her first appearance in the Mario Party series, and she is the first instance of an unlockable character. There were other characters in the past games who were locked out of certain modes, but you could still play them in the free play mode. With Toadette, you have to buy her no matter what, and only then can you play as her. Seems a little weird, especially if you just happen to be a fan of a certain character, but that's an age-old argument in any game that has a wide selection of characters and unlockability. Unlockability, is that a word? No, who cares. The next game to be released was Mario Party Advance, which I don't think... Does anyone know that game? Has anyone played it? I know that you have only four characters, Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Yoshi, and you have a game board in real life, and you use the Game Boy Advance as kind of a gameplay element. I don't know. But let's just move on to Mario Party 7, which is the final one for the GameCube. And as we go on, I think more and more that this is the one that turned people off. But in my opinion, 7 wasn't too special, but I liked it. This is the one where they introduce different bonus star objectives. Instead of the same three that they had in all the other games, they would have those three and then introduce three new ones, and every time it would be random which ones would be distributed at the end of the game. I like that. I think that encourages variance in playstyles. So you never know what the bonuses will be, so try a little bit of everything as you go. Oh, oh darn it, again, I skipped the story mode of the previous game. It's basically the plot of Milky Way Wishes from Kirby Superstar. The sun and the moon are fighting. They want to know which one's cooler. Mario throws a party to figure it out. Boom. Y y you see, that's the reason I skipped these stories, is because there's not a whole lot to say. Oh, something is wrong. Let's throw a Mario party. Okay, that magically solves everything. Hey, Bowser's being a stinker about this. Oh, well, we're still having our Mario party. 
7 is a lot better at keeping its... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll say it. 7 is a lot better at keeping its story relevant throughout the game, because it manifests as... Well, I don't know, I guess I'm not being fair to 6, but enough stalling. The plot of 7 is that Mario and his friends are invited to a cruise around the world, and Bowser is jealous because he wasn't invited, so he wants to ruin the vacation for everyone. Every five turns, Bowser shows up and messes with the board in some way. So that's how the plot integrates into the gameplay, which I said was better than how 6 did it, but really it's not that different, so I don't know. This is what I get for talking about Mario Party 6. If you might notice while playing the game, Mario Party 7 actually beat Super Mario Odyssey to the punch with having Mario travel around the world. I like to think that some of the locales in the game might even be in similar territories to the ones that he'd revisit in Odyssey, but that's just kind of me being a geek. This game would introduce specialized orbs that were unique to player characters, and no one else could use them. And they all had their own advantages to being used, like the Boo could use a magic wand to make themselves immune to traps and double the amount of spaces they move. Mario could get a fireball that would make him immune to any traps that he runs past. And they're all pairs of characters with these special items. It's kind of a Mario Kart Double Dash situation. And speaking of new characters, Boo and Yoshi got new allies in the forms of the Dry Bones and Birdo. They made their playable debut in Mario Party 7. I'm never really sure why they made Dry Bones playable, but I always like to pick him whenever he's an option, so I'm glad whenever he's in one of these games. I, I usually play as Dry Bones if he's available to me. That's why it's always a little annoying when he's secret, because how much am I going to play this game already? Now I have to play it even more to unlock him? Yeah, that's why I'm really glad he's in Super, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. There is an 8-player mode, but, you know, why? This is also the return appearance of the microphone gimmick, and it's a little better than it was in 6, but it's nothing fantastic by any means. This is also the final appearance of the Koopa Kid, and I should say, the Koopa Kid is not playable in this one. They dropped him after six. Whoops. That's just as well. By this point, Bowser Jr. had long been established, so I feel like it's about time. Come on. Mario Party 8 for Nintendo Wii. That game introduced the Hammer Brother and the Blooper, the little octopus fella. They're playable now. Otherwise, the big thing of this Mario Party is that... Motion controls. Nintendo Wii. Yeah. You're all at a carnival together, and this guy that no one has ever heard of is hosting the carnival, and all the boards and stuff, and Bowser shows up at one point. He doesn't even have any henchmen with him. I don't know, it's kind of weird. There's not a whole lot to say about Mario Party 8, but the fact that it was really nothing memorable and that they're more focused on the motion controls than anything else, kind of suggests that they were running out of ideas. It's, it's no wonder that they kind of stopped making these games for a while. 
8 and 7 really did expand on the idea of different board goals. In 7 and 8, you had your standard go around by the starboard, but you also had these linear race to the finish boards where you had to buy a star at the end. They also had boards where you steal stars from each other again. They also had boards where instead of getting stars, you had to invest in buildings, and whoever invests the most gets a point, basically a star, and it could change based on donations. A lot of gimmicky stuff like that. I like that stuff. I like that the series started introducing those more varied scenarios, these different plot hooks. Other than that, 8 didn't really have a whole lot going on for it. People were definitely feeling the burnout with the series by this point. But I think that in the absence of these games, and with Mario Party 9 being more controversial, it started to get people reconsidering their stance on 4 through 8, thinking that maybe they weren't such bad games after all. I don't know. That's that's at least my opinion. I'm a lot more I'm a lot easier on these games now than I used to be. Back then I was like, "Oh, another Mario Party. I'm still going to rent it, but come on." But now I'm like, "You know what? These games have their merit, even though I'm probably never going to play them with anyone." Mario Party DS was technically the last one to be released before the big drought, and it was the last one to be made by Hudson Soft and I never played it. The storyline involves Bowser's wizard Kamek shrinking everyone, and they would all go through boards, and it's pretty traditional Mario Party stuff. They whittled down the cast a lot to just the main players, so the plumbers, the princesses, Toad, Yoshi, that's it. Diddy Kong, Bowser Jr., and Kamek did all make their Mario Party debut in this game, that's worth noting, because the three of them would go on to be fixtures for the rest of the series. And, uh, Mario Party DS. Oh, I should also mention that they introduce boss minigames. There was that one with the Millennium Star way back in 3, and there were occasional Bowser boss minigames at the ends of the story modes in the other games. But this one has you fighting boss minigames at pretty regular intervals, and the upcoming games would keep this up. Mario Party 9. What, is it five years after Mario Party 8 and DS? Who? This is the one. This is the one that a lot of people more unanimously agree set the series off the rails. Which is ironic, because the gameplay is entirely on the rails. What happened is that they decided that all four players are in a car together, and they all drive from a start to finish point, and everyone just takes turn at the steering wheel for every turn. A lot of things are dependent on who's the captain of the car at the time, which is a little unfair in a lot of ways. A lot of the game design elements weren't super well thought out with that. Plot... Nah, don't worry about it. These mini-stars, Bowser steals them, get them back. Woohoo. The mini-stars replace the stars and the coins. Now, before, stars were your ultimate objective, and coins were kind of your side objective that helped you get to the main objective, but were also helpful in their own way. Here, it's all about the mini-stars, 
Everything you do on the board relates to getting or losing mini-stars. Your placement in mini-games affects your mini-stars. Even landing the killing blow on a boss or mid-boss mini-game. Everything goes back to the mini-stars. This system, while I think I would like to applaud them for trying something new, it's not really good, and... I've seen more people thrash the car system than praise it. So, yeah. It, it probably also helps that Absence made the heart grow fonder for the original games. Maybe people just missed Mario Party and they just wanted a new one like that. I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about it that way, but... Yeah, Mario Party 9. It was a change after a long drought. People didn't really like it. I should also point out that Koopa Troopa, Shy Guy, and Magikoopa are all playable for the first time in Mario Party with this one, but Shy Guy and Magikoopa are just enemies in the story mode. You can't play as them there. With these guys, they brought the cast back up to a respectable amount, not just the skeleton that you had in Mario Party DS. Birdo came back, but Toadette was left out. That's kind of weird. Mario Party Island Tour for Nintendo 3DS? I never played it at all. I, I, I know almost nothing about the game. I do know that it's a little more traditional. There's no car system. There's a mini-game called Choices Voice. Thanks, Vinny. They cut down the cast size again, but it's a little bit bigger than DS. You can play as the Boo again, and you can play as Bowser Jr. for the first time. Also, Rosalina makes an appearance in this one. This is her Mario Party debut, even though she's not playable. Mario Party 10, the only installment for the Wii U. It goes back to the method that 9 had, to everyone's consternation, and it introduces a Bowser mode where a fifth player can play with the Nintendo Wii U gamepad and just ruin everyone else's day. This mode is totally weighted in Bowser's favor. It's basically just a game of Bowser messing with everyone else and how far everyone can go before he inevitably wins. It's possible for everyone else to beat Bowser, but not likely. Birdo, Koopa Troopa, Shy Guy, and the Magikoopa are not playable anymore, but Rosalina makes her playable debut, and Spike. Who's Spike? Well, in Super Mario Bros. 3, in, like, five different levels, there were these stout little green guys who would spit up these spiky balls and throw them at you. And, uh, yeah, he's playable in Mario Party now. Get used to it. <laughs> I mean, they started using him in the other Mario games a little more lately, so it's not too crazy. He was even a mid-boss in Mario Party 9, but, I mean, why? Why is Spike here? I'm not complaining, it's just kind of weird. Also, Donkey Kong is back. He's playable again after sitting out from 5 through 9 and DS. They finally let Donkey Kong back in on the fun. He's not an opponent to Bowser anymore, but you, you can play as him again. I think that's pretty nice. There's also an amiibo mode. This isn't the first one to be compatible with amiibos. That would be Island Tour, but... There's an amiibo mode that 
plays out more similarly to traditional Mario parties. No cars, but it's kind of bland from what I saw. Mario Party Star Rush for Nintendo 3DS. That one did a little bit better. It's introduced some new ideas, namely the Toad Scramble, where you would play as a Toad, and your you and your opponent Toads would run around at will and recruit the actual characters, and they would help you in various ways. There's other things to do, too, but I, I don't know. I, I just kind of skipped this game because, you know, after 9 and 10, I just was like, yeah, nah, I'm done with the series. I don't, I don't really care anymore. My, my animosity, it went towards the new games instead of the GameCube games. Like, I'm really, I'm, I'm just kind of like everyone else in that regard. It's like, okay, okay Mario Party, just, just stop. Just, just stop. I heard Star Rush wasn't bad, though, so there's that going on for it. This game whittled down the cast again to its main core, though it kept Rosalina, if I'm correct. Toadette came back, and Diddy Kong is finally playable in a Mario Party game. I like that. Diddy Kong has been showing up in a lot of Mario games ever since Toadstool Tour for the GameCube, and it just kind of helps keep the Donkey Kong universe entwined with the Mario universe. Just makes the whole world feel bigger. Mario Party, the top 100. This game is different from all the others in that it's just an amalgamation of 100 mini-games from the first 10 installments, not counting DS and the other handheld ones. They changed the mini-games in some ways. Music or physics are a little bit different, but a lot of them got graphical updates. Some of them got little tiny changes to be more consistent with the rest of the series. Donkey Kong's back out, but Rosalina replaces him. I guess that's kind of because they kept some of the Donkey Kong games from 5 through 9. Or would it be 5 through 8? Probably. It's kind of surreal seeing Waluigi and Daisy playing games that they were never around for from the first two games, or seeing Rosalina in basically any of them that aren't from Mario Party 10. This game, it, it is what it is. It's a hundred Mario Party mini-games put together in the same game, but that's it. It doesn't really focus on a whole lot else, and it's not even for our console. It's for the 3DS. It's really weird in that way. I don't know, I think they could have done a compilation a little bit better than that. And finally, we get to Super Mario Party for the Nintendo Switch. They really bloated the roster with this one. You've got all the mainstays, the plumbers, the princesses, Yoshi, DK. They brought in returning faces who were in some of the other games. The Boo, the Dry Bones, Hammer Brother, Koopa, Diddy, Bowser Jr., Shy Guy, and even newcomers, Bowser. You can play as Bowser now, not in some special mode or anything. He is on equal footing with everyone else. Bowser is here to party with everyone like he's your friend. Goomba? Like, the last minion to not be playable in Mario Party? He's playable now? No, wait. Monty Mole is the last playable minion, because he's here too. And Pom Pom, a mid-boss from Mario 3D Land and World. Oh, okay, I guess... Why not? Everyone is here. This is Smash Brothers Ultimate for Mario Party. Toad and Toadette are not playable. Neither is Birdo. But they are all in the game in some capacity. 
This game just has such a light-hearted, wholesome feel to it. There's no drama or intrigue with the storyline. Everyone just wants to party. Like, even Bowser. He's competitive, sure, but he just wants to party. Everyone's just having fun together. It's this beautiful, wholesome truce. And it makes me feel happier than it probably should. But, hey. It really goes back to a lot of the gameplay that people liked in the first eight games. Really a return to form. There's no car anywhere. There's a partner mode, which does change how you move about the board, but it just does it so that you're moving in a tile grid-based system. And that's really cool and deceptively deep. Like You wouldn't really think of that, but it really does kind of change the way you approach a lot of the boards. There isn't a whole lot to the game, though. The boards, there's only four of them, and they're all pretty small, and... Games go by pretty decently fast, but they really flesh out what little there is, and I appreciate that. They really brought their A-game with this Mario Party. It might not get an A in performance, but they really tried. I, I can see the effort, and I think this should be the new standard for Mario Party games going forward. I have been talking about this series for way too long. But we're not done yet. Today's favorite songs. It's a little hard to pin down. For me, Mario Party music mostly refers to the board music, since you don't spend too long in the minigames. I suppose menu themes are worth consideration, but I'm just going to focus on the board themes. One from each of the first eight parties, though, because that's the bulk of my Mario Party knowledge. I, I'm really sorry, but the the handheld games, 8 and 9, well, no, 9 and 10, and Super, I just don't have as much exposure to. I probably know more about Super than I do about 10. So, favorite board themes from the first 8 games. In 1, I'd have to go with Luigi's Engine Room. It has a good rhythm going. A lot of mechanical or military songs. They have good rhythm too, and this one just fits right in with them really helps the song stick out in my mind, and it expresses a lot of the game's playful charm. Spaceland from Mario Party 2. It has that brave explorer sound that Super Mario Galaxy would later encapsulate in its own soundtrack. So in hindsight, it's really cool that the song sort of hints at Super Mario Galaxy, even though they weren't really going for that. It's also the board theme that I just remember the easiest. Waluigi's Island coincides with the man himself as he makes his debut in the series, being a slight remix of his leitmotif. It just has this sleazy casino vibe, and this was back when Waluigi was portrayed as a cunning trickster, rather than just being a weird man-child like he is now. And the slow pace really helps sell Waluigi's cockiness. It's just a good track for him and his board at this point in time. In 4, Shy Guy's Jungle Jam. It's not the first jungle board in the series, and it wasn't the last, but it has my favorite music out of all of them. Just that upbeat feel that it has going for it, while getting a little more mysterious with its build-up in the middle, before going out on an exciting repeat of the song's first part. Most of the boards in 4 felt kind of samey to me, but the music allows me to appreciate Shy Guy's Jungle Jam more than the rest. An Adventurer 
That's the name of the music for the Pirate Dream board in 5, An Adventurer. Again, not the first board in the series to have this aesthetic, but this one captures the spirit of adventure and whimsy that Mario Party 5 goes for as a whole, compared to the more laid-back theme of Pirate Land in 2. This one really makes me feel like I'm at the beginning of a new adventure. Not too different from Luigi's Engine Room in that way. In Mario Party 6, well, that one's a little tougher since I don't have the game in my memory as much, but I'd go with Egad's Garage. My reason for picking this one is a little shallow. Basically the fact that it incorporates the Luigi's Mansion leitmotif, and I think that's cool since that game introduced Egad, and this is his Mario Party debut, unless he appeared in advance, but, you know, you know, Again, who's played that one? All two of you out there. Mario Party 7, my favorite board theme, is Pagoda Peak. It's a slow and constant song, and I think that perfectly reflects in the board's layout, being a methodical race to the top of the mountain, all the while the song carries the East Asian flair that the rest of the board has. And in 8... My favorite board theme would be King Boo's Haunted Hideaway. It has that sneaky secret agent guitar thing going on. And when it doesn't remind me of James Bond, it reminds me of Team Fortress 2. Sneakiness and messing around with you from behind the scenes, that's what the ghosts do in Mario games. And I like how this track emphasizes that aspect of their nature, rather than going for the ooh, spooky feel that a lot of the similar boards in the series have tried. With that, I have said my piece on the Mario Party series. It has been a roller coaster, and there's a lot of debates over which installments mark the garbage era, as I said, but I think they're slowly but surely trying to find their way again, and it's working. As far as I understand it, Super Mario Party has a lot of the charm that people were missing, and with just a few tweaks, it could have been up there as one of the best. These past few years, Nintendo has been giving it their all, ever since the Switch came out, really. So, th this past, like, two years, I should say. But with that in mind, I have faith that Super Mario Party 2, or Mario Party Deluxe, whatever it is, Whatever the next one's called, it'll be a party to remember. If you're a first-time listener and you enjoy the sound of me pretending to know what video games are, then you're in luck. There are plenty of past episodes of the BitCast on wherever you found me. Podcast One's website, the mobile app, the iTunes store, and if you subscribe, you'll be able to hear more of me each week. Tell your friends, maybe they want to hear some bozo talking about Mario Party for nearly an hour. <laughs> With that... I will see you on the next one. Listen to Bidcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.